Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So, I don't know about you guys, but I am at that stage of my life where I am sort of moving a teenager along into adulthood at the same time that my mother is getting sort of noticeably older. Both of my parents talking about death a little more often than I find comfortable. It feels like just as I'm about to kind of launch my kid into the world and have a little bit more freedoms in that realm, I'm getting sucked into having to take care of somebody else and looking at sort of the longer term impact. Today, I am really happy to bring you my interview with Lori James and Lori is a mother, she's a caregiver, she's a divorcee turned author and transformative coach. And her debut memoir, Sandwiched, a memoir of holding on and letting go, was published on June 23rd. And it's her story about an eight-year period in her life, which just makes me want to like, oh my God, eight-year period of her life when she suddenly found herself caring for her parents managing unruly caregivers of her parents, raising four daughters, and trying to understand the choices of her husband she thought she knew. So, I mean, talk about a whammy. On the other side now, she enjoys coaching women who are searching for happiness and helps them discover what that means to them. She is an active community member and is involved in a youth program for high school students and is an active member of a collaborative giving circle. If you feel sandwiched in this in-between space of learning to let go and hold on all at the same time, I really encourage you to listen to this episode and gain some wisdom from my guest, Lori James. Lori, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this really important topic. Well, thank you, Katie, for having me. I am so excited to be here. And I honestly wish that your podcast was around when I was going through my divorce. And I think you're doing such a service for so many out there. So thank you. Thank you. I hear that a lot. (laughs) People wish. I don't think we even had podcasts when I was going through my divorce, but right. (laughs) Yeah. I think podcasts were just starting out because I've been divorced a little over three years. So yeah. Yeah. I've been divorced for 12. So that's, Mm. yeah. So, all right. So why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about your book and what 
it means to be part of the sandwiched generation, which you and I well, are both in. <laughs> yes. Well, let me explain the sandwich generation a little mm-hmm. bit more for your listeners. And that's really anyone that's in between the ages or that's between 40s and, and 50s and either have... So well, Gen X, basically. Right? <laughs> yeah, the Gen yeah. X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have at least one kid at home or they're supporting an adult child outside of the home and they have at least one parent that's over the age of 65. Yeah. A lot of us. A lot of us. And 50% of the people that are in that demographic are sandwiched with those responsibilities. So it's as we were talking briefly before it's it's a topic that isn't getting that hasn't been talked about a lot and so i'm hoping that by having this conversation it brings a little bit more awareness about the importance of of us dealing with it and and developing some tools for people to manage it because it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. And so what is the, 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 I mean, really what we're talking about is people who are raising children Yes, and then also caring f- at the same time, caring for aging parents. Yes. And this is what makes us sandwiched, right? Yes. We're in the yes. middle, we're, we're caretakers on both sides. Yes, exactly. And that's what my book is about. It's really about my eight-year period of my life when I was raising four teenage daughters. My mother had a heart attack and suddenly needed care at age 75. And to top it off, my marriage was beginning to crumble. And so that shift between your mother, who, you know, for so many of us is such an important lifeline when we're raising our kids, for that to shift. And now all of a sudden you're still raising your kids and now also having to care for your elderly parents is a huge challenge. And it was emotionally difficult to kind of accept. And then on top of it, I went through a period of about six years where I was going through all kinds of crazy caregivers. I had the caregiver that was drinking on the job, uh, stealing from us. I had a caregiver that was emotionally seducing my dad and my dad was giving her cash. There was like hundreds of dollars missing out of their bank account. And then I had another one who decided to tell me that it was time for my mom to die. My mom had dementia and she stopped giving my mom her medication. So, wow, yeah. And then, and then you throw a husband who is making some Voices, you know, and making decisions unilaterally, it was it was a very challenging time, and I was lost and confused and alone. But what I really did through that time is I took that as an opportunity for me to look inward and address something that I had dealt with most of my life, which was a profound. Well, at that point, I was very profoundly lonely. Mm-hmm. understandably. I was doing sure. this and I was alone. Yeah. But I'd always had a sense of loneliness and a lack of belonging growing up. So mm-hmm. what it did is it really gave me an opportunity to address that. So I went into therapy. <laughs> desperate times require desperate measures. So I did, I upped my yoga. I was doing some kind of 
traditional and also alternative healing programs, you know, kind of some woo energy classes, but also traditional like intense therapy to kind of understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. And what I ultimately came to was it was really linked to some childhood trauma that I had experienced. Right. Right. And um, which was causing me to stay in an unhealthy relationship, a codependent relationship. Mm-hmm. And and once I dealt with that, that's what gave me the power to create a different life for myself. Yeah. I think that's the greatest gift that all of these things, these challenges gives us, right? They give us yeah. the opportunity to look inward and look at ourselves, right? We can say it's the caregivers, it's the husband, right. it's the it's right. the situation with the parents, it's raising four teenagers, right? Cause and it is all of those things. It is all those things, yeah. And also it's rubbing up against trauma that's having you not be able to handle it in the best way possible. So right. the one thing you have control over is l- dealing with your own trauma, which nobody wants to do. No. <laughs> It's really awful. It's hard. (laughs) I know, I personally know from experience, right? Dealing with trauma is really not fun. No. But it's also the most liberating and- Yeah, um, it's it's a necessary evil. It really is. is. You have to to walk through that to get to the other side. There's no no way around it. Exactly. There really isn't. And uh, there was a question that came up for me, which you don't have to answer but it was really sort of present for me when you were talking about all the things that you were going, you know, that of the sandwich generation, what we're going through. And most of us are also going through this kind of stuff at the same time as we're going through menopause. Oh, well, yeah. Throw that into the mix. Yeah. Right. Like, yes. And that's not, that's not irrelevant because no. you feel like a crazy person on your best day. Right. <laughs> you know, I know and I was. Yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I left that out. I think I need to add that in. <laughs> I think you do, too, because I don't think that's that's not that is not a minor part of this. Right. No. Like, no. Holy crap. Like in the in an intact marriage and healthy parents and great, easy kids that's still we're like locking ourselves in the bathroom or just like staring at walls or unable right. to function, right? Or, like, or getting up in the middle of the night and ripping our clothes off and 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 putting yes. on, you know, new pajamas because we just we're so sweating we're... all night. Yeah. For anyone, for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's not because we're feeling sexy. It's because right. we're sweating <laughs> profusely. <laughs> Let's be clear. Uh, Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, just, oh, what a nightmare. So this, so this sort of led you down this, this, this path, right. Of self-discovery and, and all of that. But I mean, I just kind of want to talk a little bit more about the experience of that sort of that period of time where you were like dealing with, I mean, really, really big, really big stuff and then divorce on top of it. Right. Yeah. Your marriage was falling apart or yep. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I didn't leave my marriage for several years, right. uh, you know, uh, yeah. it took me a, a while, but mm-hmm. go ahead. And mm-hmm. what was your question? You were No, gonna... that was really it. Go. Yes. I just was sort of wanted to sort of pull out a little bit more of the story and well, okay. What was so, happening. so when all this was happening, I start therapy and I go in to therapy and I'm like, okay, I, at this point I probably had been married for maybe I don't know, maybe 17 years, 18 years, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix everything. Here's my list. 
right? fix everything that's wrong with my marriage mm. because there was no alternative for me. Like that was my belief system. I believe that you stayed married. I believe that you worked through your issues. I believed this is the other part about it. I created the family and the ideal family that I didn't have growing up because I thought it was going to save me. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And it was anything but. Right. So those through that process, through those years of therapy and self-discovery, I had to change my belief system and I had to just rethink everything that I thought to be true. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. The loneliness okay. that you were talking about, right? Because I think it, it, it feels like that's the thread, right? That is, had, that is definitely the through thread through my book. Yes. Yeah. That it, that you had this loneliness from a young age, you found the husband, right? Mm-hmm. He was all the things you had the, the family, you had all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? And this was supposed, this was the dream. Yeah. Right. And this is, by the way, the dream that is sold to us yes. as the dream, right? Yes. It's the dream we create, but it's also based on what's society tells us and what our parental role models have communicated to us. You know, mm-hmm. find a guy who's financially stable, find mm-hmm. somebody who you think will be a good provider. They don't talk about a lot of other things that are so important in a relationship. Right. Like, someone who's emotionally support you or whatever else, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because I did have that. I had somebody who, bless his heart, did not have the capacity to be there emotionally for me. And that was devastating when I was in the throes because I felt like I had given everything to my marriage. Mm-hmm. I was in 110%. Mm-hmm. I made sure that the dinner was on the table every night. The house was clean. The kids' schedules was taken care of. I managed carpool. He worked and I managed the house. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed in my head that and you know when I needed something that he would be there for me. Now granted I didn't have any needs for the first probably 17 years of my marriage, which I know was my fault. Looking back was I should have tested that out a little sooner. (laughs) Well, I mean, we all have needs all the time, right? Right. So were you just, were you burying them? Were you I was shoving them down. Mm -hmm. I shoved them down because that's what I saw my mother do because my Mm -hmm. dad was not capable. Mm -hmm. So from the emotional side of it, I married my father. Mm-hmm. But I thought at the time I was marrying somebody very different. Right. We And we all do. And that's right. right that's the dirty little secret because our right. unconscious is choosing like with some weird stealth mojo magic, like right. Jedi mind trick <laughs> that you're like, no, 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 no. Everything lines up that this person is not, you know, right. like any of my parents or not going to trigger my right. childhood wound. I'm like, I've totally got this. And then yeah. somehow... <laughs> Bing. It shows up. How the fuck did I do that? I really tried hard not to, right? Which is why we have to do that work to heal the childhood wounds. Yeah. Because whatever Jedi, you know, things our unconscious (laughs) minds are doing to pick these people, like we gotta, they're, they're always going to pick them. So we have to heal that shit. So 
<laughs> and and feel it. it, understand it, be aware mm-hmm. of it, see the the red flags, mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. All of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's gross. It's like the ugliest rock. Oh, stuff no. The rock. And, and it's it's probably the most painful thing that I've done. I like, Because when you're working through that childhood trauma, it's like it's physical pain that you feel mm-hmm. and it hurts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's hard. But it's so rewarding if you can if you can muster up the energy to do it. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're doing this work, you're doing this really Mm -hmm. deep, intensive therapy work. And you're sort of like, so you're like, you go to therapy and you're like, I'm going to fix all of these things. Well, in him, in him, right. In your own therapy, you're going to learn how to fix him, which first of all is hilarious. Was he going to therapy with you or was it? We we were going to couples therapy, but we were also, and later on we went into individual therapy also. Right. Okay. You're in therapy to fix him. Uh-huh. And then you find out it's not, me. It's you. It's me. I'm like, oh shit. I can only have control over myself. Damn it. Right. Right. And then you have to start doing this really deep work, right? And you're uncovering all this stuff while you're also raising four teenage girls who I don't know about teenage girls, but I'm raising a teenage boy. And it's like it's it's like being in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Uh, Like there's just so much that comes with that. And you're, and you're taking care of aging parents with dementia and you're doing this deep work on yourself and you did not go into an insane asylum. There were moments when I thought (laughs) I was probably better off. (laughs) Trust me. I mean, yeah, I, I think my savior was my girlfriends. Yeah. I had at the beginning of this, I really worked hard to cultivate a good group of girlfriends. And I had a couple, but I kind of expanded that tribe and I would go for walks with them. I would drink wine with them and lament. And I'm so indebted to them for being there and listening to me for my stories. But, and I cried a lot and I laughed a lot because Mm -hmm. like some of the caregiver stuff and some of the things were happening, it was like, I couldn't make this shit up if I tried. Like, this is out of a movie. Like, when did this become my life? (laughs) Right, right. Exactly, exactly. So how did you, how did you, well, I mean, I guess that's how you did it, right? Like you, you were in therapy and you had your friends. And I mean, I think, I think. I think there was, go ahead. No, 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 go on. I was just going to say, part of it was slowly accepting it. And it took time accepting my mom, my mom's state and that she was never going to be there for me again. And it was always going to be this way. It was also accepting my marriage for what it was. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it was about learning more the importance of Mm self-care. Right. And taking care of myself and doing what I needed to do because I didn't, outside of my girlfriends, I didn't have any other emotional support. I have two older brothers. They were not able to be there. Oh, let's throw one other thing on top of it. My oldest brother is a drug addict. Great. Yeah. Awesome. So we've got that too. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> and my middle brother, he somewhat divorced our family early on. 
Okay. <laughs> so Great. I'm in this Great. alone. And it was it was hard. I spent five and a half years in therapy. I tried to leave my marriage twice. It took me th- the third time to finally leave my marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there were times when my mom was on hospice and my marriage was in a really bad state, but I couldn't didn't have the strength to think about losing my marriage and my mother in the same year. As right. And I think that is an act of radical self-care right there. To yeah, say yeah. I have a limit, right? Yeah. I mean, we talk about self-care. I, and I think that the conversation around self-care is shifting culturally, and I'm glad mm-hmm. about it, especially for women, right? It's not getting a massage and getting a mani-pedi. No. It's looking at, at your the reality of your situation and saying, I actually cannot afford, right. emotionally afford to lose my mother and my marriage at the same time. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and making that choice. And, and then yeah. there was another time when, so my youngest are a set of identical twins and uh, they were juniors in college and I'm sorry, uh, juniors in high school and they both had various health issues. Mm. And, and literally I told my ex-husband, I wanted a separation. And then literally I, the next day, my daughter, one of my daughters is having this panic attack and hyperventilating. And, and I was like, I have to put my kids first. I am the adult here. Right. Mm-hmm. I have sure. to put my kids first. So once everything kind of settled, I had done some more work on myself. I gave my marriage a little bit more time to see if it was going to survive. My mom was, you know, my mom got off hospice. She was stable. And that's when I finally pulled the trigger. Mm. And what was the final, was there a final straw or was it just it's time? The the kids had, my twins had left for college. We moved them in in August and it was kind of the same arguments, the same fights repeatedly. And, and we didn't have that buffer. Like they were my buffer. Right. right. And I didn't have that anymore. And I literally, and I had done this before, but I literally sat down and did a little meditation and just thought, I can't do this for another 25 years. If I stay in this marriage, I will wither away and die. Like I literally felt my soul withering away and dying. And I just, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I think that's a really important, you know, so many women, you know, a lot of women who listen to this podcast are in the, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. And they're waiting for, I was to say, you know, they're waiting for a burning bush. I know I was, right? Mm-hmm. And they're waiting for, you know, I have a lot of women who are like, he's fine, or we get along. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's okay. There's nothing wrong. God, I wish he'd cheat on me. Or I wish he would do something horrible. I had that thought too. Yeah. And, and you know, my answer- I believe right away. Yeah. Like, and my answer yes. to that is, I, I there are plenty of women I know whose husbands have, have been cheating on them, are still cheating on them, and they're still not leaving. So there's always, there's always a, a question, right? And, yeah. and what I love what you just described, right? I always say the same similar thing, like when your kids are gone, mm-hmm. is this the person that you want to walk off into the sunset holding hands with? Right. You know, and right. usually the answer to that is pretty quick. Right. You know that like it doesn't take long because you you get a visceral feeling in your body, like your body gives you that message. It's our heads that tell us these stories. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that is that's exactly it. It's in the quiet Mm -hmm. 
right? And so many of us are revved so high. We're so actively avoiding Mm -hmm. the quiet place where that truth lies and you can Mm -hmm. feel it in your body. Mm -hmm. And then immediately on top of it, you know, you get that, even if you do sit and get that clarity immediately on top of it, it is your head, it's your inner critics. It's all the, all the chitter chatter. Well, but that's, you know, you're selfish or, you know, blah, 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 Right. Exactly. I did that for years. For years. Right. And most of us do. Yeah. Most of us do until the clarity becomes bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I literally, the night before I did it, I like I couldn't sleep. I cried all night, and I just sat there and told myself, "I need to get the strength and courage to do this. I know what it is I need to do. I need to get the strength and courage to do it." And I was literally telling myself that. The next morning, I got up, I did it, and within three days, I uh, had found an apartment because he said, "If we get divorced, I want to keep the house." I said that my kids were gone, and I said, "Okay, I'll move out." Yeah. I called his bluff. I moved out and he was like, what's happening? So you think that was a play on his part? You think he was, he was, you think he was bluffing? He didn't really want to keep the house or he thought you wanted. He thought I wanted to stay in the house because two years earlier when I had asked for a separation and our twins were still in the house and that's, and when they before, and then they had health issues, I said at that point, I am staying home to raise the kids. You're working. I'm staying you home. Need to move. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. staying home. Sure. You need to move yeah. out. Right. So, yeah. yes. So he thought that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a power play. Sure. Sure. It usually is. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really that, 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 and I just, I just want to reiterate that because I think it's yeah. important. It's in the quiet. It's in the meditation. Yes. yes. Right. It's, yes. In that quiet place. Yes. And I knew that in my heart years earlier, but it was complicated. My situation was very complicated. And as is everybody's, I'm not saying that your listeners aren't because we all have our own lives, complicated lives that we're living. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it, it was anytime I sat in that quiet, I knew. Yeah. I just yeah. had to get to a place where everyone was okay enough, including myself. Yes. To be able to do that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that I want to also point out that you put your kids first when your daughter was having panic attacks. And we often talk about like, I need to stay in my marriage for my kids. Right. And there's significant research that shows that that's actually not, not a thing. Mm-hmm. And that it's not, it, that the divorce doesn't fuck up kids, that Staying in an unhealthy, uh, certainly in a toxic marriage, but even in an unhealthy or unhappy marriage for the sake of your kids is not good for kids. Right. However, when you have a child who's having medical or psychological issues at the point at which you're going to do this, like your choice to pull the plug on that, I think was completely valid. Right. And so I just want to, I just want to differentiate and distinguish, I think, because I think it's really, I think that's really important. Yeah. As long as you're not being abused. Right. 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 So what do you think, like when there are women who are other women who are sandwiched like this, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. now we're just talking sandwiched between having ill parents and 
children, mm-hmm. right? But if their fa- if their marriages start to crumble as well, like what advice do you have for people who are going through like all of these? Cri- it's like a it's like a it's like a, an, an inferno of crises. Yes. First, I would say be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. You're doing yeah. the best job that you can. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to not do it all. Mm. And because yeah. as women, we do that. We are multitaskers. We are making sure that everyone else is cared for a lot of times at our expense. And then we're still hard on ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. well, I didn't get the laundry done tonight or I didn't, whatever it is, right? And the other thing is ask for help. Mm-hmm. Ask for help and ask for help from your siblings. Ask for help from extended family, from your place of faith. There's all kinds of services out there. There's wonderful podcasts also about caring for aging parents mm. that I'm discovering. And also, when you find that help, figure out what that person's strengths are and have them utilize their strengths. So mm-hmm. like if you have somebody who's a good cook in the family, have them bring over meals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And come have dinner with your parents once a week. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody in the household that you trust, which is a very important word, maybe have them handle the finances. Mm-hmm. If it's a sibling, get your parents' affairs in order as much as you can, as much as they're willing to. Get the will and trust in place. And because that is so key, because as your parents age and they can no longer sign off on things, you're going to need that power of attorney to get anything done, just to even talk to the utility company sometimes. Right. And by the way, for anyone who doesn't have like eight parents, you all have, if we have parents that are aging, but aren't at a critical point, like get the power of attorney now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's something I have power of attorney over my mom's estate. I'm not going to use it until right. I have to, of course, but I have it before she becomes incapable yeah. of giving it to me. Right. So, exactly. And, 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 and also yeah. go through it. Like what are their wishes? Like do, mm-hmm. how do they mm-hmm. want to My mom had dementia. I never had this conversation with her, but I don't think she, my mom was so active and so vibrant and hiked and traveled and did all these wonderful things and sailed and started a preschool. And, and I don't know that she would have wanted to live in that state the way she did for 13 years. But, and and so there's this wonderful book called being more, being mortal by Atul Gwandi that really talks about he's a doctor and it's a reflection on his patients and conversations he has about how do you want to die? Do you want to die your quantity or quality? Right. Right. Yeah. Want to have quality of life? Right. And these are conversations that we don't have because they're icky. Yeah. And they're hard. But Mm -hmm. if I'm incontinent, you know, if I'm incontinence and I don't know your name and I've now had a infection for the fourth time, don't treat me for that infection. You can put that in writing in your will. Mm -hmm. You can be that specific. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And these are conversations. God love her. My mom is, my mom has everything. I mean, advanced directives, like everything. And she's constantly wanting to talk to me about these. And I find myself being like, 
can we not? Right. <laughs> you know, give me the piece of paper. I'll read it when I have to. Right. Right. But more and more, like she comes to me and she's like, so now listen, I, you know, she's turning 80 this year. So she's, yeah. I mean, she's vibrant and healthy and all of the things, but she's also turning 80. So she's like, now listen, at my funeral, I want to make sure. And I'm like, and part of me is like, bitch, you can't be controlling that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you right. She, she wanted to, to have a conversation a few, like a couple of months ago about when I move into her house, which room I use as my bedroom. And I was like, <laughs> you can't control that. She's very controlling. So I was like, you cannot control that. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you're going to haunt me. You're literally going to haunt me. <laughs> And she's like, well, I mean, I'm just saying that if you, (laughs) so I know, but I think it's to her credit. I think she didn't have these conversations with her mom. Yeah. And it was very difficult to, for her to manage. She was also in a foreign country. So I think it was difficult for her to manage. She watched my, my aunt go through it with my grandparents on my Mm -hmm. dad's side. And She's got it Good all. for her. She really does. And well, I think and, it is, and, yeah. And and that's the problem because as we touched on before we got on the call is we are really the first generation that's dealing with this, right? right. Because right. my grandparents passed away very quickly. Heart attack, boom, they're gone. Right. This and we are having kids later in life. So mm-hmm. we are really the first generation that's dealing with this. Yeah. And there, our parents are living longer. And so it's such an important conversation. Difficult, but important. Yeah, really hard. And especially to have in the middle of a divorce. I just keep coming back to that <laughs> while you're in menopause. Because that's the other thing is that like, because <laughs> we're having kids so much older, right? Like now, I mean, look, I don't think I if I had had kids in my twenties, like I would be, I, I can't even, I, I it would have been awful. Right. Right. Oh, at yeah. the same time hitting out, hitting menopause and perimenopause at the same time that my son was hitting adolescence Oh yeah, was hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause our hormones are doing the exact opposite. Right. Things. That like, are. like at the yes. same time, it's awful. Yes. Awful. Yes. Yeah. So, well, and, and the one thing that my ex-husband did say, which was pretty funny, he used to say, you know what PMS stands for? Pack my suitcase. <laughs> yeah. I think that's indicative of where your marriage ended up. Yeah. <laughs> because like, no, you don't bail. You actually right. lean in, honey. That's yeah. your opportunity to lean in and, and give more support, not actually abandonship. Yep. So what, so what advice do you have to give for other women? We were talking about this, right? About the advice, like getting help. Yeah. Which I think is, I actually want to stop on that. Like get asking for help. We women are, we are, we are so bad at it. Yes. We we talk about it all the time. It's like one of the like top talking points in personal development that Mm -hmm. we actually rarely do. Yes. Right. We're so bad at asking for help and being specific. We are. For me, I didn't really have a lot of my, both of my parents are only children. So I didn't have extended family Mm -hmm. and my two brothers weren't really around much. One brother was, he he would help, but he would only help if I asked. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, and I didn't want my older brother who has addiction issues even around. And he did come back in 
maybe about five, six years ago, he came back into our lives, but it, it, it is hard to ask for help. I mean, I, my mom did have some close friends who came in and helped. So I was very thankful for that. Some friends of her church would come and bring dinners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I did have some help, but for me, so my help was hiring caregivers to help me. Uh, right. Right. You know, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I feel fortunate that my parents had the means to do that, mm-hmm. but not everybody's in that position. No, not at all. Not at all. And I mean, it falls on us, right? Yeah. And that's when I think you have to go back to the ask for help. Don't be afraid. Because most of the time when you ask for help, people are willing to step up. They actually want to. They do. That's that's the thing. People want know. to help. I have a friend who had surgery last week in the midst of her her uh, one of her kids was in the hospital. Like there was all sorts of stuff and she was having surgery. And I was like, you have to, you have to. And she was like, I just, I feel really bad about it. It's not that bad. It's like, it's elective. So I feel like, and I'm like, yeah, but we want to help you. Right. So let's put the meal train together or whatever it is. And we forced her to go and stay at our other girlfriend's house. And like my girlfriend like cooked for her and like just took care of her. And she was texting me and she was like, I can't believe how good this feels. Right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, her husband was never going to do that. First right. of all, he was in the hospital with their kid, but also like he was just not going to do that if he, she was home either. Right. Cause also, by right. the way, women know how to care for other women. We know, we know how to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. So we have men, and- men don't always know. Some men do, mm-hmm. but most men, they don't. Often and they I don't. think. And they don't. And I think it's partly because we also don't, again, we don't ask, right. right? As you said, you spent 17 years in your marriage, stuffing down every need that you had and not asking. So he was right. out of practice, right? Like it's not a, it's not a male, female thing. I a episode a few weeks ago with my friend, Jordan Shapiro wrote a book on how to be a feminist dad. And, you know, we okay. were talking a lot about the masculine feminine, like yeah. it's just not a thing. It's not a thing that females are more nurturing, that women are more nurturing than men. It's that we have more experience doing it because it's expected of us from a societal, cultural perspective, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not because it's just a muscle that that we exercise a hell of a lot more because we're expected to. Right. That doesn't mean that men can't do it. (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Agreed. So, okay. So tell me about your life sort of now, like you're sort of over (laughs) this incredible hump and you've been divorced for three years. (laughs) I I moved out three and a half years ago. The divorce Mm -hmm. is about two and a half years, but yeah. 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 And so I'm sitting here talking to you. Mm -hmm. I've published a book or I'm my my book is being published and it's coming out on June 22nd. Mm -hmm. I'm coaching other women through transition and my life could not have turned out better. Amazing. I love my life. Mm. And I would have never have done what I'm doing if I would have stayed in my marriage. And I'm not saying that leaving a marriage is right for everybody, Mm -hmm. but it was right for me. So tell me why that in particular, like why did leaving your marriage give you the freedom to do all of these things? Because I stayed small in my marriage. Yeah. I catered to him. Mm-hmm. 
which kind of goes back to the codependency thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and he was also very controlling. He was Mm -hmm. a controlling person and liked things certain ways. And I am a free spirit at heart. And I didn't feel like I had the freedom to be myself in my marriage. I had grown into a different person than I was when I married him. And he, and we grew apart. We didn't Mm -hmm. grow together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so important because I feel the same way. I was in a very similar marriage. Mm -hmm. I would never, ever be doing what I'm doing. I mean, I obviously wouldn't be a divorce coach and doing all this if I'd never gotten divorced. Although there are plenty of people who do, but whatever, obviously, but, but it's not just the, the, my job title, right? right? It's, it's who I have to be to put myself out there, to be confident, to feel like I matter and can make a difference in the world. Yes. Right. That my voice actually matters. My voice never mattered in my marriage. There was no, I felt that my voice didn't matter until I got out of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, all right. So tell, okay, tell, where can people find you and, and, and what's the coaching that you're doing before we go there? Tell, tell, tell me about the coaching that you're doing. So I'm, I'm working with women who are just mm-hmm. going through transformation or are just looking for more happiness in their lives, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean they're going through a divorce, but I'm working with a lot of women who are wanting to kind of change their business, just seeking general happiness and I'm really enjoying that. I'm looking forward to continuing that and maybe developing into more of like a program or mm-hmm. a group kind of uh, offering. And but first, I'm just really focusing on my book and getting that launched. Yeah. It is the pub date is June 22nd. Mm-hmm. You can pre-order it on Amazon or IndieBound. And you can find me at Instagram on at Lori.james or my website at Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E-E, james.com or on Facebook, Lori James Author. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lori, for coming on. And oh my God. Thank you so much for this. having me. And I, I highly recommend the book. And I think that this whole conversation about being in the sand, the sandwich generation, sandwich Gen X <laughs> yes. is, is really important. And I hope we do start hearing a whole lot more about it. Yes, I do too. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.